It's good to see you all on this morning. Amen. I'm excited about this season, this time that we're in and all that we get to celebrate. And as you know, we are beginning our new sermon series this morning entitled God with us. Now, as you probably have noticed from some of the marketing, some of the advertising, there's going to be a couple different topics that we hit. And today we're going to talk about hope. Hope. Now, I was trying to think of an example because if you've been a part of the ministry for a while, you know the cadence of my uh, messages. I always start off with some type of introduction. I always start off with some type of story. And once in a while, I have a blank. I have what's called like a writer's block. And I just kept trying to think, what would be a good example that I can personally share about having hope? And so like I do most often when I hit a writer's block, I came to Pastor Charles and I said, Pastor Charles, I'm having some trouble coming up with an illustration for hope. I want to think of something personal. I found some uh, great testimonies of other people. I thought of, I even found some uh, uh, great testimonies of celebrities. I said, I want to think of something that I know God has done so much. Give me an example of hope that we have endured in our relationship and in our marriage. And he said, oh, that's an easy one. I said, really? I can't think of anything. He said, oh, tell them the story about CJ. Well, I'll tell you that story. You see, I was that person who waited a little bit late to get started in child rearing. And so when I was 30 years old, I had Anna. You know, the one that's the tall one that runs around here and does all the sound in the video? I had her. And so I knew that that wouldn't be my only child. And so I was just kind of like, okay, Lord, this is wonderful. I, I love being a mom. And so two years later, I had Leah. And so she's the other one that you see running the child care and doing all the stuff over there. And I knew, as most women knew, uh, that after having two girls, I was not going to be left alone, right? Brother Donald's like, no, 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 we're not stopping there. We got to have a boy, right? So I kind of understood that after having Anna and then two years later having Leah, that sometime in the future, we would probably be trying for a boy. And then you have Nicholas. So like any good wife, I'm celebrating checks, checks, checks. We are what? Done. We are done. You got a girl, you got another girl, and a bonus boy. We did it. We did it. And we were so excited because the church we had come from, the, there was a couple and they just kept trying and trying and they had like five girls and so we were just like oh Lord Jesus no please let there not be a, a series of girls and we just keep going and never get to that point so I really felt like we had done it what I didn't know is that my husband had hope that we would have yet one other child now I wasn't a part of this plan 
Um, I, as far as I was concerned, I had completed all wifely duties and we were good to go. But I realized at one point that he was extremely serious in this hope. Uh, Sister Gail, we had got a new home, and when we had got this home, it was a rental, we had to move. And so in my mind, because at this time, I'm guessing, let's see, Anna was probably close to 10, Leah was probably close to eight, Nicholas was probably close to six. So they're all big in school, no more daycare, no more bills, like you're in the clear, clear, clear. And so when we're moving, I'm going, oh, we could probably get rid of this crib. We could probably get rid of the baby dresser with the little, what was that thing they call that? It's like a special dresser, but it goes up and around so you can have like the baby changer in it. All of that, I said, oh, we probably can leave all of this stuff behind. We can bless somebody with it. We can give it to somebody. And it was at that moment that my husband let me know that his hope was very serious. He said, no, we're going to take it. And not only were we going to take it, we're going to set it up. So imagine you're surprised when my friends come over to see my new house and they say, can I have a tour? And Charles, I take them around my house and I show them this room. This, this nursery is completely set up. And my friends are going, oh, congratulations, are you expecting? No. <laughs> and they're going, let me get this right. Your kids are good and almost grown, and y'all have a nursery set up, and you're not expecting? Nope. Talk to my husband. Well, my husband had hope. He had this expectation that something that he was believing God for was going to come to pass. Now, just to make sure that you understand how unusual this is, I'm at this point pushing on the door of 40. And I'm knocking at it real hard. And I said, you know what, honey, um, I do love you. And I, I absolutely want to make all of your dreams come true. Um, but I'm 39, and um, if this doesn't happen soon, it's just not going to happen. So I gave him a deadline. I said, if I'm not pregnant by the time I turn 40, I'm sorry, but that hope is not going to come to pass. Well, come December, right before the year to turn where I would turn 40, in March, we discover I was with child. I was in shock. He was not. <laughs> My OBGYN was looking at me very strangely. Everyone wants to poke me and prod me like I'm an experiment because they're just in disbelief that I'm with child. And we make it through this experience and I give birth to this little boy that you now see running around here called CJ. And it was so amazing to me because here I am, 40 years old, giving birth to a child that, and I tell CJ this all the time, I said, you are a reminder to me that God's plans 
are always so much better than my own. Because I had planned pack everything up. I couldn't understand. I had even packed up the clothing and had them in like the big Ziploc bags, kind of saving them to donate to someone else. And I could not understand all this stuff that I kept. God knew, I didn't know, but my husband had a hope. Tell someone, never give up hope. Hope can be used in a lot of different ways. But I want to talk to you today about the ways that hope is used commonly, but then how hope is used in the word of God. There's three ways we commonly hear it and use the word hope in our language. Um, hope is the desire for something good in the future. The children might say, I hope daddy gets home early tonight so we can play kickball after supper after we eat dinner. In other words, they desire for him to get home early so that they can experience this good thing. They hope. Hope is a good thing in the future that they are desiring. We say, I hope that Jim arrives home safely. In other words, his safe arrival is the object of our hope. Hope is the reason why our hope might indeed come to pass. We say a good tailwind is our only hope of arriving on time. In other words, the tailwind is the reason we may in fact achieve the good future that we desire. So those are three different ways that we may use hope and we can summarize that as saying a desire for something good in the future the thing in the future that we desire, and the basis or reason for thinking that our desire may indeed be fulfilled. That's how we generally use it when we're in talking in our general conversation. But as you can imagine, there is a distinctive biblical meaning of hope. And it's a lot different than any of these three uses that I just shared with you. The most important feature of biblical hope is just, it's not present in any of these ordinary uses of the words, and in fact, it's almost the opposite of our ordinary usage. And by opposite, I don't mean that we're hoping for something bad, but by opposite, I mean that ordinarily, when we use the word hope, we're expressing some uncertainty. We hope that this will happen, but it's not for certain. We desire that this may happen, but we don't have any assurance that it will. So in our typical use of the word hope, it always embodies this uncertainty, but when there is a biblical hope, there is an understanding that what God has promised us is going to come to pass. But this, this, this biblical meaning is not only a desire for something good for the future, it is, did I go too far? Wait a minute, one second. There we go. It is not only that something will happen in the future, it expects it to happen. And it not only expects it to happen, it is confident 
that it will happen. That's the kind of hope we're talking about this morning. A confident waiting, a confident expectation that it will come to pass. No uncertainty when we're talking about the biblical version of this word. Much like what I experienced with my husband. No uncertainty, no doubt in his mind that he would see another child be born. A certainty that comes that you can expect to happen when you have a word from the Lord. And that is the hope that we celebrate today on this first Sunday of Advent. Now, Advent is actually a season of hope. The word Advent means coming or arrival. And the season is marked by expectation, waiting, anticipation, and longing. So the season of Advent is not so much about a denomination or about um, anything that we may have preconceived notions that it's attached to. It simply is a longing, a desiring of something that is to come. I thought about it for a moment and I thought of the analogy of when you are with child and you are excited and you are expecting and you are longing for the arrival of that newborn. You may start nesting, you may start trying to get the house clean or get the room decorated or get clothes picked out. There's a certain excitement that comes when you have a promise and you have a hope that what has been promised is coming to pass. And so during this season and these weeks le leading up to Christmas, it is a season that links the past, the present, and the future. Advent offers us the opportunity to share in that ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah. We kind of got to go back through that journey to really appreciate how that longing pursued and persisted. But then we also need to recognize, and I think that we don't underscore this enough, that this is a season where we can not only celebrate his birth, but be alert for his second coming. Amen? Advent looks back in celebration of the hope fulfilled in Jesus Christ's coming, while at the same time looks forward in hopeful and eager anticipation to the coming of Christ's kingdom when he returns for his people. So, you know that this is normally not what is going through our mind during this time, right? It's a season marked with busyness, right? It was so important to me that we have a time of advent, that we have a time of reflection, a time of centering our thoughts, because I don't know about you, but I have been guilty of times past being so consumed with everything that has nothing to do with anything. Did I get my mother a Christmas present? 
Are the kids going to like what we picked out for them? Should we have two Christmas trees in the house or should we do one? Should we do the red and the green traditional colors in the decorations or should we try something festive and do like a, a pink and a yellow? We get so consumed. In times past, I even have been consumed with my network marketing business. And I've been thinking to myself, okay, this is the best time of the year for record sales. We got to sell, 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 sell. And all of those distractions come to take our focus and our attention of what we really should be celebrating during this time. And so I thought, how awesome would it be knowing all of the distractions that you would have all week long, knowing all of the, the, the busyness and the, the, the Friday, Black Friday shopping and the Cyber Monday that's coming and then the Giving Tuesday that people don't talk about and then all the other things that are going to happen between now and December 25th. I thought, what if we took 30, 35 minutes a week and tried to refocus on what Christmas means to us as Christians. So today, I want us to focus on that hope. And I want us to first not just kind of look at hope the way we understand it, but look at hope in terms of the years and the decades and the centuries prior to the coming of Christ, how they looked for it with great anticipation for his arrival, as you may do when you're expecting something that is important to you. It was a long journey. Somebody say long. I mean, it was a long anticipation. It was not one of those things that God kind of dropped in someone's spirit and they kind of prophesied it and then it happened the next year. If you really study the Bible, this is seven, eight hundred years of anticipation. Meaning, not even in their lifetime did most of those who anticipated the coming of Christ get the opportunity to see the promises of God come to pass. And so that's the way God had been working throughout history. He knew what he was going to do ever since the fall of man. Now you guys know that story, right? You know about Adam and Eve. And you know that as much as we're focused on presents, God is focused on presence. He desires to dwell with us. God enjoys our presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. -E. And so while other people may enjoy your presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, for God, it was more so about being in his presence. And so we know that there was some decision-making that wasn't the best that took place, which kind of separated man's ability to dwell with God. And so he immediately began to develop and to put into place a plan to restore us, to restore mankind. And so he shared it with the people. They looked forward to this time. They looked forward to this Messiah. They looked forward to this birth of this child who was going to come and who was going to restore and who was going to rebuild. Oh my goodness, when is this going to happen, God? Have any of you ever got a promise and you're just like, God, when? When? 
So the prophets of old received the word and they would give the word. And so let's look at Isaiah chapter 7 for a minute, verse 14. You know what? I had a couple other. Hold that. I want to share a couple other scriptures with you before we even get there. But you hold that. At least you'll be there when I'm ready for you. I want to first just kind of read into your hearing. You don't have to turn with me if you don't want to, but I'll give you the, the citations. I kind of want to, before I get to the first one, I want to show you the buildup. In, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God's covenant with Abraham, at that point called Abram, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Then in Genesis 28, verse 15, when God encountered Jacob at Bethel, he renewed the covenant and reinforced the hope rooted in his faithfulness. He said, I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. And then he goes on, and, and much time has passed, and many years and generations and centuries, and the humans are, you know, impatient, of course, and they cry out, how long, O oh God, was the cry of many people. So from the time of Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to David to Elijah to Elisha to Isaiah to Jeremiah and many other prophets, there was a repeating history that we saw of devotion to God and then neglect of God. There was prosperity and then there was recession, feast and then literal famine, pleasure and then pain. So they, the Hebrew people weren't much different from us in terms of when everything was going well, then their involvement and devotion to God would take a dip. And then when things started to go poorly, then they would cry out to God and ask for God to rescue them. And so they did this little pattern over and over again. And through it all, there was a deep longing for God to fulfill the covenant that he made with Abraham. And so his promise of a Messiah who would come to make everything right, this wasn't just an idea that kind of drifted from time to time. This was a deep hope. Their deepest hope that sustained them and encouraged them and spurred them, especially through years of uncertainty. And so in the midst of this long journey of hope, Isaiah is what Bible scholars call a major prophet. He wrote a lot, he taught a lot, and he played a prominent public role in Israel. He was very, very famous in his day. Now, he wasn't always popular, <laughs> but he was very, very well known. And what I loved about him is he was the kind that he had access to kings. And he didn't flatter kings by telling them what they wanted to hear to curry favor with them. He was the one that would shoot it to you straight and let you know, get yourself together, God is not pleased, judgment is coming upon you. And so he had the type of boldness that he would proclaim the word of God even when you didn't want to hear it, but he also had the blessing of carrying the promise, the word of God that they all wanted to hear about the promise of the Messiah. And so now we're here brought into Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, leading you up to where we have Isaiah giving this prophecy here. He says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. 
Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus. So do you see this long journey of hope? 700 years. Like, I need you to understand the United States is only, what, 240 years, give or take? 700 years before Jesus, he's still speaking through the prophets and telling what is to come. Then you look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 through 2, and he says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has arrived. So as you can see here, this biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. And it not only expects it to happen, it is confident that it will happen. There is a moral certainty that the good we expect and desire will be done. Now here's my favorite of all. Go to Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 through 7. For us to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So can you imagine living in this time? with this type of anticipation, this promise, this hope that he's coming and not knowing exactly when. And then fast forward a couple 700 years and then some exciting stuff starts to happen. Have you ever got close to something and you could kind of tell, oh, wait a minute, I'm getting close. Have you ever been on a journey and you kind of felt like you were far, 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 far away, but then you see a glimmer of what God promised you? You see just an inkling of what he said would come to pass, and you get all excited, and everybody's wondering, why are you so excited? Oh, I see a glimmer of the promise of God. Sometimes that's all it takes. You say, God, just give, me, just give me a small sliver of it to hold on just a little bit longer. Because just as we all have these stories of hope, we can also think of times where we've lost hope. And sometimes all you need is just a little glimmer to give you hope again, to make you, to, to awaken in you the belief that God can and will do what he said he would do. And 
so after all of these centuries, not decades, centuries of waiting, something happens that we learn about in the book of Luke. See, I love the book of Luke because if you ever paid attention to any of the other gospels, they sort of kind of pick up in adulthood, right? But in Luke, we get to the very beginning of the story. I'm, see, I'm that kind of person. Take me to the beginning of the story. I want to know, start at the top. What happened? Luke starts at the top. And he talks about a man named Zechariah. Turn to chapter 1, verse 17. And see, you got to know a little bit about Zechariah in order to understand this hope beginning to manifest, beginning to close in on coming through fruition. This expectancy that we can have even right now as we're waiting for December 24th. See, as we turn our attention to this Christmas narrative in Luke, Zechariah would have been well acquainted with the words and the prophecies of Isaiah. He was a priest. Luke described him as righteous and blameless. He was a good Jewish follower of God and a spiritual leader to his people. And he undoubtedly held deep longings for the Messiah who had been promised. See, here's what I need you guys to catch. One thing that I love about Excel Church, which is, is, is unique in many ways, is we don't just desire for things. We desire to see the things of God come to pass. The promises of God. And so when we recognize that God wants to do a thing, then we set our hearts and our minds and our intentions on how can I be a participant? How can I bring this to pass? How can I cooperate with God to have his will come to pass in my lifetime, in my community, in my city? So you have to understand that's the mindset of the priests. They have studied the scriptures. They have read the prophecies. They have a desire to see the will of God come to pass. And so here we have Zechariah, who is a priest. And the Bible records that he was noble and he was righteous and he was blameless. But it had been 400 years since Israel had had a prophetic voice and a message from God. 400 years years. And so as it had been so long since they had heard a message from God, when the angel showed up and told Zechariah that he would have a son who will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make a ready of people prepare for the Lord understandably, Zechariah was a little baffled. Not only are you going to finally bring this to pass, but you're going to use me? Sound like any of us. <laughs> you're going to do what? And it involves me? And so just to make sure that you understand not only had they not heard a prophetic voice in over 400 years, not only had Zechariah never had children before, but he was very up in age. So we hear a lot about Sarah and Abraham and their story, but Zechariah had a similar testimony. He was thinking to himself, surely 
there's been a miscommunication with the messenger, you, you stopped at the wrong place. And here's what I want y'all to catch about this, because this struck me particularly as I was studying this that I'd never seen before in all the years that I have studied the scripture. The response after the prophetic word from the angel, God was so displeased with Zechariah that he did what? Close. He silenced him. He silenced him. He couldn't say another word. He said, if you can't speak in agreement with my word, then just don't talk at all. Whoa. That ought to really humble us because somewhere along the lines, it's become fashionable to question God. And he may not resort to the same methods of showing his disapproval, but this was enough indication to me that I have to be very careful and silence my mouth if it's not going to allow words to come out that agree with the word of God. There was a series I taught a while back called Speak What You Seek Until You See What You Say. And it was powerful because I retrained myself to speak what I was seeking until I saw what I was saying. So at the time that I would speak it, obviously it would not be in existence, but I had begun to teach the people of God and to train myself that that does not matter that it's not in existence. If God said it, we're going to speak what we seek until we see what we say. Until I see what I say. Until I see what I'm saying. It's not here, but I'm going to continue to speak it until I see it manifest. So we began to train ourselves. And we had to get real careful. And I'm telling you, even to this day, we're all very careful. We're all very particular about the words that come out of our mouth. And so we see here that God is showing Zechariah that. Because he has spoken a word to him through his angel Gabriel. And Zechariah has not received that word. And he has closed his mouth. He is now effectively mute. Now imagine the surprise of the people. They didn't sent the priest in. The priest come out after a long delay and he can't even talk. So I just imagine him trying to write down on the scrolls what God has said to him and what God has shown him. And lo and behold, after he finishes his tour of, of, of priestly duties and he goes home to his wife, Elizabeth, she has become pregnant with a child. So here in this scripture, in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, we have this promise, this hope awakened. His original response was, who me? We're too old. That's not possible. But the reality was, with God, all things are possible. Can we put a pin in that for a second about hope? <laughs> that with God, all things are possible? It, it, I have to be completely honest with you. There have been times where even I myself have said, really God, you can do this? And then I have to check myself like, do you, did you hear that question? And did you hear who you posed the question to? 
but we're so guilty of only thinking that God can do what we've seen done for someone around us. Amen? I know for me, I was the first person in my family to go to college. It wasn't something that was done in my area, in my neighborhood. And so, you know, when you get these things that you have these ideas and you kind of begin to worry like, well, wait a minute, I've never seen anybody do this before. Can it be done? But the thing about a biblical hope is when God says it, no matter how incredible the claim, no matter how the odds are stacked against you, no matter how many other people apply for that job and were told no. No matter how many other people you know who tried to have children after a certain age and it didn't happen. No matter how many people had tried to start their ministry in a certain building and it never got off, you know that if God said do it, it's going to be done. And so Zachariah has this recognition as he comes. Now see, Here's what we also need to understand. This was certainly an inconvenience, but you can imagine the hope that sprang up within this couple and the people around them when they heard this news. The old prophecies are about to be fulfilled. The one prophesied to come in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the Messiah is coming. Someone is coming who is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, my Bible students know we're talking about John the Baptist. He was a bad brother. John the Baptist was not to be played with. He prepared. And see, here's another thing. Side note, side note, side note. Never look down on the supporting role that God gives you to bring in his plans to pass. See, some of us, we wouldn't want to be John the Baptist. You mean, so basically he's a co-star. Like, he's not like the leading role. I mean, he's preparing the way for the Messiah. Like, why couldn't I just be the Messiah? Y'all laughing at me, but you know it. I mean, why, what do I look like? Why I got to be second fiddle? Sometimes we don't even know what we're asking. You wouldn't even want to be the Messiah. Would you want to carry that cross? Would you want to endure what he had to endure? Sometimes we covet and we look for and we want first position and we have no idea the depth of the sacrifice that first position requires. And we look down on the crucial role the second in command holds. John the Baptist prepared the way. And so, maybe some of you are thinking, that's great, that's nice, thank you for the history lesson, Pastor Alicia, but you know, here at Excel, we normally try to tie it into, you know, something current, something that pertains to our everyday lives. And I wanna make sure that you see that this does. No matter what kind of problems and struggles you might be facing right now, no matter what kind of season of darkness and pain you might be in right now. Let me encourage you on this morning. Do not abandon hope. Do 
not abandon hope. I think there's several ways us can kindle and reconnect with God's hope as we proceed through the rest of these weeks. We're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about peace. We're going to talk about joy. But as we close and what God wants to share with us about this hope that's based on his word. I need you guys to consider these words from Psalms 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast if I say, surely, the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for the darkness is as light to you. You are not alone. God with us is more than a promise about the birth of a baby. God with us is the promise of the birth of the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us. Now that's a powerful hope. No matter what we have to face, that no matter what we have to go through, we do not go through it alone. See, the enemy will make you think that you're alone because you will look around and you don't see where your help is coming from. He'll even get you to throw yourself a little pity party. Woe is me. This even happened to the prophets. Remember the prophets at the, after they would do mighty works for the Lord. They would sink into depression and, you know, I'm the only prophet left. No, you're not. The enemy will make you think, you know, I'm the only one still standing for righteousness. I'm the only one still holding out for holiness. No, you're not. You have to continue to place your hope in God. God knows where you are, and at the appointed time, he will send you who he wants to bring into your life. Amen? I don't want my singles to lose hope. I don't want my singles to begin to think that, well, maybe I should just compromise just a little. Maybe my list is becoming too tall. You know, this is 21st century dating. I might have to let up off of some of my morals and my values if I want to be with somebody. The devil is a lie. I just celebrated last Sunday 18 years of marriage. And I tell you, and, and, and my family will tell you, it was so sweet. My sister had sent me a text, and in the text she had sent me, she said, we really all thought you had lost your mind. They didn't think I chose right. Why? Oh, because we met in February, and we were married in November. They were like, wait a minute. That ain't how we used to seeing stuff in the world. You know, you date five, ten years just to make sure. No. Once God says it's so, it's so. 
It's better to marry than it is to burn. Holiness is still right. Come on, y'all adults. Y'all can catch it. Once you hear from God, and, and I remember, and I told my husband, it, it was so, so certain to me, and we were fasting. We had actually went on a fast, and we went on a fast, and God began to reveal it to me that this is who he had for me. And so it was scary because I had everyone around me, even Christians, even, you know, people who I looked up to in the faith who were, uh, you know, scholarly. And so they all had other people picked out for me. This person they had picked out for me was a youth pastor. This other person they had picked out for me was an associate pastor. And, you know, they had all these people picked out for me. And, and, and yet here I am saying, no, this is what God has said to me. And this is what I believe. And so at that time, uh, neither my husband or myself were in ministry, and we, we, well, I was in ministry, but I wasn't a pastor, and he wasn't in ministry at all at that time. And so I had to truly hear from God because it was no visible indication of where that marriage would go. And so I remember one time we were at a wedding, and someone prophetically came up to us, and they said, your, um, your husband's a pastor. I was like, no, 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 no. He's, he's not a pastor. And they took a deep breath and they looked at me with a sigh of disgust, like, come on, you know what I'm saying to you. Your husband is a pastor. And I remember I got filled with a little bit of concern. I'm like, wait a minute, God, you tricked me. Now, had we discussed all this up front, Remember, I said no to the youth pastor, and I said no to the associate pastor. So you're telling me you slipped a pastor under the radar? And then the years would come, and he would accept his call, and we would go into ministry together. And so after all of these years and seeing the promises of God come to pass, see the prophecies that we receive come to pass, it is clear to me that as you are making decisions right now, there will be an lot of outside influence. And there will be a lot of suggestions that are based on facts, that are based off of what is true and what you can see. But if you are to ever experience the absolute best that God has for you and see the promises of God come to pass in your life. See, sometimes we blame God and we say, well, God, you promised me, but it was not that God was not faithful. It was that we did not know how to hold on to and guard the promise. When God gives you a word, you have to hold on to it and you have to fight for it with your life. I mean, you fight for it. You guard it. You don't let anybody speak against it. You just, uh, 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 you can stop right there. You can't be worried about, I don't want to hurt their feelings. No, I'm going to hurt your feelings. You don't come up against God. God, I, I told you that God said, why would you want to say anything else after that? So you guard what God has shown you. You guard what God has promised you. I don't know who this is for this morning. This is not in my notes. But whatever it is that God has placed in your heart, that you have a hope because he has shown you, you have seen glimmers of it 
And then the reasonable part of you tries to shoot it down and say, oh, no, that's not going to happen. Oh, no. And you try to coach yourself out of it because you don't want to be disappointed. I am telling you on this morning, I am sent to reawaken your hope that God is faithful and that what he has shown you, whether it's having a baby at 40 <laughs> or whether it's something totally different, that it will come to pass. Amen. It will come to pass. Father, I thank you this morning that you have always been faithful. And I thank you, Father God, that even when you're not swift to bring your promises to pass, we can stand on the confidence that it will happen. You are not a man that you can lie. The minute you speak a fact, even if it weren't so, it becomes so because you are God. And so we look at this promise. We look at the things that you have spoken to us now with a fresh eye, with a fresh realization that it is going to happen, and we activate our hope. Our hope is in you. God, thank you right now for that gift that you've given us as we're running around and looking for gifts and trying to get gifts. We thank you right now for this precious gift of hope that we could hold on to every promise until we see it come to pass. Knowing that just as on, on December 25th, that we, the day that we have chosen to celebrate the birth of Emmanuel, we know that we will give birth to every promise that you have placed in our hearts. And so we thank you for this time. We thank you for this season. We thank you for this opportunity to recenter our thoughts and to focus on you and to focus on your faithfulness and to focus on your goodness and to focus on the gift of your son. You are an awesome God. You are a good, good father. And we give you praise and we give you honor and we give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen.